Dr. Richard Schmidt, and we are always so blessed to have him here with us this morning. So thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you. Also known as the old man. Gosh. David, you remember when we were younger? We, long time ago, long time ago. Uh, I want to say, uh, I want to say a word. Uh, John mentioned it in the prayer about our brothers and sisters in Texas. Anybody have any acquaintances, family, knowledge of folks out there? Uh, living where we live, we all know too well. Uh, a jog in the path could have brought it over this way. It could have been Florida as it has been in the past. So there are a lot of prayers and thoughts going up on behalf of the folks out there. I am certain that in the days to come, uh, United Methodist Committee on Relief, UMCOR, will be offering us the opportunity, us being the congregations of the United Methodist Church, will be offering us the opportunity to donate to help alleviate some of those needs. And I want to tell you, if, if you don't know this, that a lot of times when, when we give to other agencies, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't, but like if you give a, a dollar to a, a relief agency somewhere that maybe 20% maybe of that might end up going to overhead. But with the church and UMCOR, you give a dollar for a need, a dollar goes to that need. There's no percentage that comes off to handle overhead. So there are a lot of agencies out there that we pray are going to be doing good work. We know we'll be doing good work, but our church is also one of them. So I just mentioned that to you. Now. Chris and Tony went up on Thursday, uh, drove straight through, and on, are on their way back now. I talked to Chris yesterday, and he said that uh, they'd probably be leaving up there about 5 o'clock Central Time, which would be 6 o'clock our time, so they're on their, on their way back. The one good thing about traveling on Sunday is, generally speaking, you don't have to worry about going through Atlanta and the in the wonderful traffic patterns that, that are always available for us when we go through there. So I said to him, well, you know, Judy and I are, are looking forward to, to the opportunity to, uh, to be with the, the church family again. Uh, you got any words of wisdom for me? He said, yeah, don't screw up. Uh, I got I to live with those people, and I have a reputation to... To protect, so so um, now I got I got to tell you at the first service um, we got out 15 minutes early, and I told the folks at the first service that uh, that uh, they could add that on to one Sunday for Chris. It <laughs> could go a little bit further. Um, Judy and I sang with the choir at the first service. They're a rowdy group. They're, there is John. They're as bad as your group here. I tell you why. They just 
And you all do a great job. Thanks so much for, for that. You, you all are blessed Sunday after Sunday to have the music that, that we do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you remember chain letters? Uh, back before we had the internet. Now, I, I guess we still have what you would call chain letters on, on the internet. I, I get them. I, I get them sometimes from a friend of mine in New York. Uh, they're, they'll either, they're either about the military or they're about religion. Uh, if they're about the military, it talks about patriotism and all of that. And then at the bottom it says, if you're a true patriot, you'll pass this on. And if it's a religious one, it's, uh, it's at the bottom it says, if you're a true, true Christian, you'll, you'll pass this on. I never do. <laughs> I don't. Thank you, thank you. I, I, I never do, but uh, I don't know what that says. I don't want to. I don't want to find out. But back before the days of the internet, I remember getting a a chain letter or seeing a chain letter that made the rounds that talked about some of the characteristics of the perfect pastor. Now these are the characteristics that a perfect pastor ought to possess according to this letter. For example, the perfect pastor preaches exactly 10 minutes. I can see I lost you all already. He, he or she condemns sin but never offends anybody. The perfect pastor is 29 years old and has 40 years of experience. <laughs> he works from 8 a.m. until midnight. He is also the church janitor. He sings in the choir, teaches Sunday school, visits the hospitals every day, goes house to house to see his people and spends quality time with his family. Now the letter concludes with this uh, admonition. If your pastor does not measure up, send this letter to six other parishes that are also dissatisfied with their pastor. And then bundle up your pastor and send him to the first church at the top of the list. In one week, you will receive 1,643 pastors, and one of them ought to be good for you. And here is the caveat. Have faith in this letter. One parish broke the chain and got its old pastor back in three months. Back on the first Sunday of July, the pastoral appointments in our conference changed. Imagine how an incoming pastor would feel if, in addition to getting the keys to the sanctuary and the keys to the parsonage, he or she was given by the chair of the PPR committee that kind of a job description. Or, Put the shoes on the other foot. 
Imagine what the congregation would go through when they learned that the name of their incoming pastor was Hosea. I can see it now, two people standing at the front of the church talking, now gossiping, really. Our new pastor's name is what? Hosea? Hmm. I think he's the one that started a scandal in the, in the parsonage of his previous church. His friend says, what? Why? What did he do? Well, hold on to your hat. He married a prostitute. Talk about gossip. The name Hosea became a byword for a lot of things. Top of the list, fool. His satisfaction survey plummeted to zero. His reputation was suddenly null and void. And now you know why he's listed first among the Old Testament minor prophets. You can imagine what they had to say. Eh, he must be some kind of a nut. And if you think that, if that's your thought about Hosea, let me tell you, you'd be wrong. You'd be way off. Hosea was without a doubt one of the most patient, kind, loving, tender, generous of all the Old Testament prophets, obedient to the core, faithful to the end. A congregation would have been blessed to have had Hosea as their pastor. But the question has to be asked, as I'm sure a congregation would ask it if they found out that Hosea was being assigned to them. Why in the world would a with, with a man of God like Hosea, fall for a woman like that. Well, get a grip on your hat. Because the answer to that question is, God told him to. God chose Hosea to model the message of love and forgiveness to his beloved nation Israel. Hosea was like a neon sign in front of a church flashing, like, like headlines in the local newspaper, but at first nobody knew it. Bartenders scoffed, waitresses giggled, shopkeepers snickered, and the bells of the, of the wedding chapel rang out in the town. Hey, did you hear the latest? Gomer's gone respectable. She got herself married to a preacher. It must have been terribly humiliating. Everywhere they went, it seemed, like they saw familiar faces, insulting insinuations, kind of uttered at, at whisper uh, level behind their backs. And Hosea must have bit his tongue until it bled. His marriage was an act of love, but to the public, it was a joke. Before God, he stood justified and obedient. But to those who knew him, he was an undiscerning idiot. They had no idea what he had to have been thinking. I wonder what the Puritans were thinking. Way back when they outlawed Christmas, 
Did you know they did that? Yeah, back in the 17th century, the Puritans were so concerned that the celebration of Christmas was taking the believers away from the, the, the Lord's Day on Sunday that they, they passed a law saying that you could not celebrate Christmas. They, they got rid of it altogether. The marketplace was ordered to stay open and you were prosecuted if you didn't. It was against the law. Get this. It was against the law to make plum pudding on the 25th of December. The celebration was not referred to as Yuletide, but as Fooltide. Tell me you're kidding. Nope, I'm not. And speaking of that phrase, you're kidding. Have you ever found yourself being told some bad news? Somebody comes up to you and says, did you, did you hear about, about so-and-so? Oh, they had, a, they had a terrible accident. Or, or did you hear about so-and-so? They had to go in the hospital for, for major surgery. Or whatever, whatever it might be. And, and oftentimes, what's our response? You're kidding. Really? Why would anybody kid about something like that? But sometimes we say that because we don't know what else to say. And I got to believe that's what Hosea said when God told him what to do, to go out and claim Gomer. I, I, you're kidding, right, God? Is there anybody else up there I can talk to? But God wasn't kidding. Hosea must have replayed God's instructions over and over in his head just to be sure he had heard right. In chapter 1, verse 2, we read, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. And that's exactly what Hosea did. He took Gomer as his wife, and as we read further in the narrative, she gave, we find out that she gave birth to a son and a daughter and then another son. And after all of that, she walked out the front door and went back to the streets. Hosea's mind must have been blown after he had showed her all this love. And she turned around and did that. Now, wouldn't you think he'd be willing to wash his hands of all of that? But God said, go get her, bring her back. And Hosea, for the second time, had to have said, say what? Tell me, you're kidding. And God said, nope, go get her. And so for a couple of dollars and several bushels of barley, chapter 3 tells us Hosea brought Gomer back from another man's arms and claimed her again as his own. Now stretch your imagination for a minute. Try to picture the love and dedication it had to have taken for Hosea to carry out God's instructions, not once, but twice. The Living Bible paraphrases chapter 3, verse 1, like this. Go and get your wife 
again and bring her back to you and love her even though she loves adultery. Not another soul in Israel heard God's voice except Hosea. And rumors therefore turned to ridicule as his fellow Jews watched with open mouths as he lovingly stooped down and carried Gomer home. Little did the people realize that they were observing a living parable, a living object lesson, a divine pantomime designed by God to illustrate the truth of his love for the nation of Israel. From the fourth chapter to the end of, the, of, of uh, Hosea's journal, once Hosea had their attention, he constantly echoed this message. Listen, hear, return, over and over again. Return, return, return. And even though he modeled that message like no one ever had, the people ignored his cries. He told them the truth about what they refused to hear. He said to them, you are the harlot. You have left Jehovah's love. You have resisted his affection. You have denied your marriage. He continues to call you his own, but you refuse to return. He loves you still. Return. Return. But they didn't. And three tragic years later, Israel was crushed under the boot of Assyria. Well, that's Hosea, and that's Gomer. But what about you? What about you? What about me? How, how are we doing this morning in our walk with the Lord? You having a tough time modeling God's message in your neighborhood or at work? You feeling unappreciated? misunderstood, foolish, ridiculed. Well, as John Wayne once said, that's the way it goes, pilgrim. Just ask Hosea. Rosy paths and, and flower-strewn walks went out. Went out with the flood. The days in which we live are tough ones especially if you're attempting to walk the path of a Christian. It takes two things to keep from folding our tents and fading off into the desert. A tough hide and a tender heart. And Hosea had both. <laughs> and he had the scars to prove it. He died, rejected, and ignored. And so did Christ until the resurrection. In 1983, Alexander Solzhenitsyn received the Templeton Prize for Progress in Religion. He recalled the words he heard as a child and used them in his speech. The elders were trying to make sense out of all the terrible upheaval that was taking place in Russia. And Solzhenitsyn said this, is what he remembered his elders saying. Men have forgotten God. 
That's why all this has happened. And then he went on to add these words. If I were called upon to identify briefly the principal trait of the entire 20th century, if I were called upon to briefly relate the trait of the entire 20th century, here too I would be unable to find anything more precise and pithy than to repeat once again, men have forgotten God. As, Ho as Hosea pleaded with the Israelites, so too does he, through God's word, plead with us. Don't forget in the darkness what you have learned in the light. Don't forget in the darkness what you have learned in the light. Don't forget God. As we prepare to take communion this morning, let's focus on those words. Would you bow with me? Father, we find all kinds of encouraging words in Scripture. Sometimes it's a little hard to, to see the message through the clouds. But through your prophet Hosea, and his loving illustration, we begin to realize the truth of your love for Israel and your love for us. And so continue to encourage us. Help us to remain faithful. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And God's people said, Amen. Every week we celebrate communion, and every week we are reminded that the time of celebration is an open table. Each of you who are here this morning are invited to come and to receive the elements of bread and juice. If for some reason you're not able to come, if you'll catch the eye of an usher or one of the folks who are serving, we will bring the elements to you. On the night that Christ was betrayed, he gathered his friends around him in the upper room with apologies to Leonardo da Vinci, who, whose famous painting of the Last Supper shows them shows the disciples sitting around the table. They were really reclining around the table. And came a time in the Passover meal when the bread was broken. And had you been there, you would have heard these words. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the grain from the earth. And then Christ broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. And then at the close of the meal, he took the cup. According to one tradition, the cup of Elijah. 
that is set at every Passover table, but never used, never, never drunk from. And it's that cup of Elijah that the tradition says that Christ took and passed among his friends and offered the traditional blessing. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the fruit of the vine. And then he said, this is my blood that is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. And so that is the invitation for all of us this day. The table is prepared. I would ask our communion service if they would come and be prepared to serve the rest of the congregation as we come to the table. All is now ready. Come as you feel led. Amen.